0: Well, uh, it's good to be with you, family. We are, we are getting to the end of our book in Colossians, and we've been talking about relationships. Because the reality is if, if, our, if our reception of the gospel, if our believing what Jesus says and does, doesn't have some sort of effect on the way that we live, then we have to ask ourselves, what is the point? And so we've been talking about how the, the life and character and, and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ has bearing on on husbands and wives and how we're to relate with one another as well as on, on parenting and how we're to parent well and, and today we're gonna talk about employment what it looks like for us to <laughs> I think did I hear a groan? <laughs> hey I appreciate the honesty that's that's okay. Uh, and we're gonna we're gonna talk about God's design and desire for us to honor our ultimate lordship in Jesus Christ in our service to our earthly bosses. Um, So, let's go ahead and stand, and we're going to read Colossians chapter 3. If you're new, we stand to read the word of God out loud together, so you'll get to read with us. If you mess up, just look at your neighbor and act like they did it. Um, We're going to read Colossians chapter 3, verses 22 to uh, verse 1 of chapter 4. Bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive an inheritance as your reward, you are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your servants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. This is the word of the Lord to us. Let's pray. Lord God, Master, we pray to you, the one who has the ultimate authority in all of creation and therefore in our lives. And God, I pray that as we come to your word, that we would submit ourselves to it, to the authority of scripture. And that we would seek to honor you in all the ways that you set before us to do. God, that we would live lives of holiness in relationship with other people. Holy Spirit, I pray that by your power, the vertical relationship that we have with you would be expressed in in our holy commitment to, to relate well to others. And God, I pray that you'd bring clarity, that you'd bring conviction and commitment to this word that stands before us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys can be seated. It's good to see you guys week two. If you're at home, you're missing out. <laughs> if you're missing out because you're sick or something, I get it. But if you're missing out because you, uh, for other reasons, I'll just say that, uh, <laughs> you're missing out. So this is a this is an interesting text. Um, I, I, I would be lying if I said I was not a little nervous to preach on it, uh, being a white guy in our nation, given the history of our nation. And... If you were reading from a different version of your, the Bible, I've got a, it's the ESV, but it's the Anglican, I don't know if it's because it's, uh, it's Anglicanized, they, they, they spell color, C-O-L-O-U-R in this one, but they say in, in this version it says slaves, and maybe in your version it says slaves as well. And so, the first question I want us to consider is, is Paul condoning slavery? I mean, that's a fair question. I mean, we, I think we'd all like to say, obviously, No. But I want us to think through whether or not this text is in support of slavery. Because if so, we've got some challenging issues to address. And if not, we want to be clear on that fact. <clears throat> so let me say up front, no. <laughs> just so we don't wait to the end. It is not condoning slavery. If you read something on the internet that says it is, just get off that website anyways. Because why are you there? But um, it's not condoning slavery. Um, we could talk about a biblical theology of, of God's dignity in, hu- in humanity, uh, but for the sake of time, so that we can all have lunch, I'm just going to deal with this text. So I'm going to give you five evidences before we get into the rest of the word and, and apply it to our lives, but five evidences why Paul is not condoning slavery here. First of all, the fact that Paul even addresses slaves in the Colossian church highlights their dignity as fellow persons and not objects to be owned. So if we were to look at, at, I've talked about these honor codes that were common in, in pagan and non-Christian settings. They did not address anyone except for those who were considered to be persons and those who were considered to have authority. So largely it was, it was addressed to what was called the paterfamilias, the man of the household. You didn't have conversations with the women or the wives or the children and certainly not the slaves. So the fact that Paul leads out he says wives first, he says children first, and here he says slaves first, he is raising the level of dignity, not inherent in them, but, but inherent in the culture. So inherently, these slaves had dignity. That dignity was being ignored and discredited by the culture. And so here Paul is raising up these slaves and saying, these are people to whom God wants to speak. I mean, imagine being in this setting. You're in this church. Likely, it was it was a home church. It was a house church. There there were people in this household, and and they understood how the world worked. And yet, here's this letter that's being read aloud, and all of a sudden, the reader is reading slaves, and all the slaves perk up, like they're talking to us. He has something to say to us. He has an expectation for us. That's evidence number one. Evidence number two. Throughout the section. Paul relativizes earthly slave-master relations by saying that both the slave and the master have ultimately a a heavenly master in Jesus Christ. So Paul says, whatever you see in the culture here, there's an ultimate authority to which you are accountable. Whatever this authority says and however the culture would try to direct your, your life and your behavior, you are ultimately responsible to God. And the slaves would have been like, yes, and the masters hopefully would have taken a breath and said, okay, I need to I need to hear and listen to what's being said. Um, each time the world, uh, sorry, the word Lord is used. So I, if you read it, it says, slaves obey uh, in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye services, etc. Fearing the Lord. In the original language, it's fearing the master. So there's there's wordplay that we lose in the translation, but he says okay, obey your own earthly masters, do, do what you've been called to do in terms of your, your employment and your care, but but understand that you need to respond to your heavenly master. And then we see that wordplay in, in chapter four, verse one, masters, treat your slaves just as fair, justly and fairly knowing that you have a master in heaven. He's using wordplay to highlight the fact that Christ is is master over all, and ultimately the slave is not responsible to their earthly master, but ultimately they're responsible to Christ. Number three, Paul makes a point to highlight that as slaves work for the Lord and not for men, they will receive an inheritance as a reward from the Lord. Slaves were not expected to receive an inheritance. They were were doing what was to be done, and, and their payment was just, that was their state of existence, so to say, you have an inheritance, you have a reward, you have something coming to you, again, lifts their level of dignity. Evidence number four, as he speaks about the gospel, Paul makes explicit statements that undermine culturally established hierarchies. We see one in Colossians chapter three, verse 11. This is why you have to read the Bible in context. Just, just ten verses beforehand, he says this, here there is not... Greek or Jew, circumcised, under, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but what? Christ is all in all. Just 10, chapter, 10, 10 verses before, he said, guys, when it comes to the gospel, when it comes to your need because of your sin and God's provision, there's no hierarchy. And what that means is as, as they were gathered together, as you had master and slave, they were, I wonder if they looked at one another and realized, oh no, we're brothers, and, and the master began to realize, what does this mean for me? Can I really say that I own a brother? And, and, and the slave now begins to realize, God, it, God sees honor in who I am. He values me. I exist as more than just a subservient pseudo person. You have to understand that this slavery in this culture, I, I read one commentary that said half of the existence of Rome was slaves. So this was not something, it, it was in the air. People did not question this, they just lived in it. And, and so, uh, I mean, some of the, some of the pagan writings, is, they're crazy. I mean, literally objectifying humans. Treating them as objects like you would a, a farm tool. And so, this is radical what he's doing. If we could go to Romans chapter ten, I'm not going to do it right now. But Romans chapter ten, verse twelve. If you're re- if you're keeping pace, taking notes, Galatians chapter three, verse twenty-eight. There are these statements where Paul says, "Guys, when it comes to the gospel, when it comes to salvation, one, we all need it, and one, it's available. And two, it's available to all of us." And then evidence number five, uh, Onesimus and Philemon, two fun names uh, that we will probably not say in common, but we can call them. Um, Oh, and, and Phil, I don't know. Uh, Onesimus is a runaway slave from Colossae that got saved in Paul's ministry. So he runs away, and who does he run away from but Philemon. Uh, one one speaker on this text actually thinks that, that Philemon's household might have been the place where the Colossian church met. Talk about awkward. Because in, in chapter 4, we hear Paul encouraging, he says, I've sent... Uh, one of the guys, Tychicus, I've sent him to you for the very purpose that you may know how we are and how we may encourage your hearts. In other words, Paul writes this letter and he gives it to this guy, Tychicus, to send back to Colossae. So Tychicus is going, and in verse 9 it says, and with him Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you, they will tell you everything that has taken place here. So this guy who leaves as a runaway slave is sent back as a brother who's at a high enough level of honor that he's going to, with Tychicus, he's going to give a testimony of what God has done in Paul's life. Can you you imagine that you're the master, and this guy who you're pretty angry about, who you've considered to, to have stolen from you, comes back with a letter where Paul is saying, this is my fellow brother and worker. Also, there's this tiny little book in the Bible called what? Philemon. And that came with Onesimus as well. And if you were to go back, I would encourage you to go and read it. In it, Paul is very gracious and kind to Philemon, but basically says, I don't have to say I owe, you owe me, but you owe me. And he says, I, I don't have to say that you should free Onesimus because he's a brother in Christ and he's faithful to me and you are a Christian, but... <coughs> so... Paul is undermining the institution of slavery in both this text and in Philemon. But while he isn't going directly after the institution, he he is trying to address it with gospel truth. And at the same time, he's trying to apply the gospel into the real circumstances that these people found themselves in. Does that make sense? He, he recognizes that even if they were to overthrow all of those things, there would still be a need on part of both the, the, the person who was a slave and the person who was a master to relate to one another in a way that would honor their ultimate authority, God. So he is not condoning slavery, but he is doing what he does in every circumstance, whereas, which is he speaks into the culture to, to sow gospel seeds with the expectation that that which is not godly will be rooted out and that which is godly will grow. So, our application is this. While these verses speak into a specific circumstance, the principles that Paul lays out for us are applicable to us. Does that make sense? So, by the grace of God, we don't live in a country where we are currently allowing slavery to exist. Although, if we're being honest, there, there are forms of slavery that exist in the U.S. and in other countries as well. But... We have moved away from it officially, and maybe um, moved away from it being codified, and so we have to apply this differently. So he, he addresses them in two groups, slaves and masters, or as, as it says, bondservants and masters. And if you're wondering why they do that, why don't they just call it slaves? There was a, a desire on the part of the translators, for those who call them bondservants, to distinguish between the fact that in American slavery, chattel slave, slavery. It, it was different than than Roman slavery. Does that make sense? We're not going to go into all that, but you can look it up. Um, slavery in the United States was re- it was rough. It, it was horrible. Not that slavery in Rome was good, but there were differences, and and so the the authors were or not the authors the translators were trying to bring distinction to that fact. Now in, in this version, which is uh, used in in England and in Europe, because the slavery didn't necessarily have the same kind of look and feel as it did in the U.S., they used the same word. Are we on? Everyone nodding? Okay. I, know. I just got to get that stuff out of the way. Um, if, if I said something that you disagree with, we can talk about it after service over a donut, I hope. <laughs> so for em- employees, for those of us who, who work on the behalf of someone else, Paul speaks of a command. A manner of obeying that command and a reward and a reminder. First, let's look at the command. He says in verse 22, Slaves, workers, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. We are, to, we are to obey our earthly masters in everything. By everything, we must understand that Paul does not mean everything in the most open scope possible. When he talks about everything, he says everything that is godly and good. And, and he, he understands that people will understand that. You can't take this and say, well, my, my boss told me I had to embezzle money and that, so that we could both go on a trip. And uh, he said in everything, and he's my boss, and so we did it. No, he, Paul is clearly, obviously holding up a standard of righteousness and saying in everything, I mean everything that honors and obeys God. Because we have a hierarchy in which God is the ultimate authority. When the earthly authorities go against God's authority, we must side with God. However, aside from these commands that run counter to God's authority, Paul expects that we comply with integrity. And that's that's important. Apart from, so you're in a job, you don't love your job, you don't hate your job. Maybe you hate your job, maybe you love your job. You're in a job, your boss tells you to do this. It's within the scope of the job that you've agreed to. You're not trying to leave that job and find another job. That means that you need to walk in integrity and do what you've been told to do with a happy heart and a good attitude as we would tell our kids. There's no prohibition to finding another job because that's not really a a situation that the slaves had. So I think that there's room that if you're in a job and you're like, well, I don't wanna do that thing in America, and in an in in agreement where you're both like, we can terminate this agreement at any point, you can quit. But if you choose to stay in that job and be someone who is employed by that employer, there's an expectation that you live and walk with integrity. As you labor in a profession, God's expre- uh, expectation is that you labor wholeheartedly. And he says, not by way of eye service or as people pleasers, the... the The idea is not doing what's right when you're being watched and not not doing what curries favor or just in order to to, uh, manipulate, but you do good whether you're being watched or you're not being watched. Integrity means that you serve just as well when you're being watched or when you're not being watched because you know that Jesus is watching you, because you know that you have, what, an ultimate authority. What this means is that when you get that email... And you know the email I'm talking about. You respond as if you respond to the Lord. You don't respond in a way that just shows them how stupid they are. You respond in a way that honors God. It means that you complete you complete that project as if you were submitting it to the Lord for approval. And and this isn't this isn't godly manipulation. I'm not saying you do these things because that's how you get you get a raise. That's not. I'm not saying you do these things because that's how, how you, you succeed in life. I'm saying you do these things because God has claimed your life, you represent him, and you want to honor him, come what may. Now, by the grace of God, wisdom often results in good results. But sometimes it won't. Sometimes you'll do the right thing and someone else will get credit and you'll get fired. But God expects that we walk in integrity. That means you give 100% of your effort knowing that you are sweating for the Lord. How you respond to earthly authority is a testimony to how you relate to the Lord of all. I'll repeat that. How you respond to earthly authority is an expression of what you believe about who is your ultimate Lord. Again, we're not talking about family, we're not talking about people telling you to do vile, wicked things. We're talking about someone telling you to, to put that on letterhead when you already printed it out and you didn't want to do that. We're talking about you, you having to deal with this knucklehead who, who thinks that he knows everything and is trying to get in your lane and tell you what to do and how you relate to that guy. We're talking about how do you represent and, and invite people into the, the godliness and holiness that exists in your life in the context of not just church, not just family, but the workplace. He says that we are to, we're, we're to um, honor God by doing well. You know, he doesn't make room for, for work that's too dull or outside my interest or not fulfilling. Again, I am a millennial, and, and there were so many, I'm kind of a millennial. Uh, there were so many articles that came out like 10 years ago, 15 years ago that were like, millennials, they just want to, you know, come out of college and become a CEO. And as a side note, who doesn't? But um, <laughs> let's be honest, guys, I, I, I recognize what they were trying to say, but there was this kind of push towards, if it doesn't fit my perfect, uh, my perfect uh, lane, a uh, uh, dream, purpose, then it isn't the right job for me. And, and every generation behind us was like, what? Really? Because every generation behind us had to be a poop smith. For a period of time. They had to work hard jobs. They had to do terrible things. And there was an expectation that you did the job that was in front of you with integrity and honor and that you didn't just try to, to do uh, the, the job that you wanted well and the job that you didn't want to, pour, want to do poorly. He doesn't make room for something that's too dull or outside my interest or not fulfilling. He commands us to, to work as, as we're working to the Lord. However, he goes on and he says that there's good news that whatever you do, verse 23, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive an inheritance as your reward. Family, we, I've been talking with our staff about this, but we, we don't just live an 80 to 100 year lifespan. And the world, the world militates against that. The world wants you to get all that you can get here and now. Get it immediately, right? The internet, get it immediately. We don't don't know. There was a time, young people, where I grew up with what was called an encyclopedia. It's like Wikipedia, but in book form and outdated, right? But also written by professionals. So there were some differences. I had this Encyclopedia Britannica, right? Like five shelves of it. You could look up all kinds of things. And... And that was, that was my life, and that was our lives, everyone who's like 35, 40 and old, older. Like you, you actually had to read books you know, on paper, um, not articles or blog posts or um, tweets. I don't know if that counts as research anyways, but um, what am I even talking about here? <laughs> I'm just, I'm just <laughs> curmudgeonly complaining about the present. Oh! Oh! So the world militates against a sense that we have eternity to look forward to. And I'm reading this book that's really helpful, a book called Holiness by a guy named J.C. Ryle. And one of the things he talks about is that this life is not just, this this life's purpose is not this life. The life you're living right now is not for the sake of this life. God is actively fitting you and shaping you and preparing you for what? Eternity. And and you have an opportunity as you work to allow the difficulty, the challenges, the the experiences of your work as you labor. You can can allow God to fit you for the sake of eternity. Work is a good thing as a side note. Work was created before the fall. Uh, Work just became difficult after the fall. Um, You had, I don't know, email was invented. I don't know. Um, That's the post-fall problem. But work is a good thing and it's intended to produce something in us. And this world militates against that. So Paul is constantly reminding us to go and think about things above. Think about the future. Think about eternity. Think about things in light of what, what it will be like when you're with God. In light of 80 years, yeah, you want to make as much money as possible. You want to do everything that you can here and now. You want to be. You want to accomplish every career goal that you have now because that's all you got. But if eternity is your goal, then you can happily scrape the carpet off off the, the cement that that was the first job I had to do with a, a, a rusty uh, garden hoe, and, and and you can do that to the glory of God. You you can do. Uh, we were passing on the way in, we were passing all this corn. You can can farm corn and you can cut down corn and you can deal with corn and corn can be your life. And it doesn't have to be any any more grand than that. You can work in a cubicle and answer emails and do technical support. You can serve God in, in the place that God has allowed you to be To his glory, because you know that God is doing more than just trying to fulfill your greatest desire for this moment. He's trying to fit you for eternity. And in light of that, there is a reward. We cannot successfully live this Christian life if we don't live in light of eternity. You will not be able to handle life if you think that life ends at 80 years, at 100 years. The the pains of, of life as we get older, as you lose people, as you have health issues, all of these things become unbearable if there is no eternity. But as Paul says, if if we think about eternity then they become light and momentary afflictions. So he calls us and he tells us that there's a reward in heaven. And finally there's a reminder to us as as servants. Serve the Lord. In, in verse 24, it says, you are serving the Lord. Now, in the original language, you have two options. You can either say, you are serving the Lord, or there's another way to translate it. it, it it's called the imperative. It's command, serve the Lord. And, and the word looks the same, but can mean different things depending on the circumstances. The, most of the translators say, you are serving the Lord. Most of the commentators say, the, the context seems to suggest he's saying, serve the Lord. And so I want to suggest to you that he is saying, serve the Lord, right? He's saying, you have a reward in heaven, serve the Lord. And it's interesting, he's talking to who? He's talking to slaves. Now, he has just told the slaves to obey their, what, earthly masters. But he ends this section by saying, what, serve the Lord. And that word serve is the same verbal form as the noun slaves. So he's saying, be a servant, be a slave to not Not these earthly masters, but ultimately to God. And then he gives a a warning and a reminder that the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he's done. And there's no partiality. We are called to obey scripture. And even if we feel like we've been wronged, even if we feel like we got the, the wrong end of the stick or the short straw. God says, you need to listen to me and obey me and trust me to vindicate. Then he shifts on to employers. He says, masters, treat your slaves or your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Paul makes it clear that those in position of authority have an ultimate authority to whom they are responsible to give an account. That should give you hope. Raise your hand if you have a bad button. No, I'm just kidding. Don't raise your hand. <laughs> but say you have a situation where you don't like or respect your boss because of their behavior you should respect the position because that's that's the way god calls us to to relate to people but say you don't respect your boss what are you to do well you can be encouraged that they have an ultimate authority and they will be held responsible for their actions no one no one gets away with anything in god's economy no one gets away with anything in god's economy Paul commands these masters, or, or for us employers or bosses, to treat those under their authority with justice and fairness. This is that same integrity we talked about, but it's just on the other side of the table. These, these are bosses who don't show favoritism, but treat all their workers equally well. These are bosses who will promote fairness on teams and not entertain gossip, backbiting, and other unethical behaviors. These are bosses who will treat their workers as individuals with dignity, showing interest, for their lives beyond how they perform at work. These are bosses who are motivated to glorify God and not to glorify money. And if you're in this room and you're saying, yeah, that's how other people need to act, I'm talking to you. Even if you're not a boss now, you will likely one day find yourself in a position of authority over other people. And the expectation that God has is that you will act in a manner that is consistent with integrity. He ends this section... Uh, on on relationships with the masters, and we've talked about masters and and slaves and children and and parents and wives and husbands, but the reality is he's just repeating and filling out what he said in verse 17. Whatever you do, in word or deed, at work, at work from home, on Zoom, on Google Meet, at that company picnic, at the client site, at the construction zone, whatever you do, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. The application of the gospel is that whatever we do, we will do it in the name of Jesus Christ. If you trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you no longer live. When people see you, God's expectation is that you are going to so represent Jesus that they'll say, man, Jesus must be awesome. Man, Jesus must be a man of integrity. Man, Jesus must be a person who was very honest. And Jesus must have been super interested in not just the bottom line but in people. Whether as husbands or wives, parents, children, employers, employees, we are ultimately answerable to our master Jesus. And family, I my hope is that as we as we shift beyond this section that you will grasp those things that God has put his finger on? What are those areas of obedience that you need to begin to walk in? For some of you, that means you need to relate very differently to your coworkers and your employer. Maybe, Maybe you don't need to send some sort of cathartic email saying, oh, I've been a terrible employee and I'm so sorry, but maybe you just need to shift the way that you talk. Maybe you need to not go around the water cooler and listen to that conversation. Maybe you need to what is it that, what is God putting his finger on for you to do differently? Because the world is waiting for, for light to be seen. And if, and if this gospel doesn't produce light in your behavior, it's not a gospel to you. If this good news doesn't change the way that you, you parent, if it doesn't change the way that you relate to your spouse, if it doesn't change the way you re- relate to those in authority in your life, then it doesn't, it, it hasn't taken root in your life. Again, to quote J.C. Ryle, it it doesn't matter what you think, what you feel, but what you do. Not because thinking and feeling aren't important, but God expects that that thinking and feeling should result in a certain behavior. Certainly, we want to believe the right things and we want to feel the right ways toward God, but those beliefs and feelings need to have an outward expression in the way that we live in our lives what has God called you to grow in your, obedient, in your obedience? And how will you walk this out this week? These are not rhetorical questions. So I'll give you 10 seconds to think. If you're taking notes, write things down. If you, if you had a name come up, you can you can think about what God wants to do do with that name, that person. If God has a situation come up, you, you can do something with that situation, but walk out obedience. Let's pray. Father God, we love you and we thank you that you love us and call us to faith and obedience. And Lord, I pray that as we, as we consider your word, as we consider your call to, to walk in integrity at work, that we would, we would say with the psalmist, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. God, lead me to live in a way that honors you. Help me to do what pleases you. If you're in this room and you've never trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, today's your opportunity to trust him. Today's your, your chance to, to believe that Jesus died for your sins in your place, defeating Satan, sin, and death. Today's your day to believe that he offers eternal life to you. Today's your day to trust in him and not in your own abilities. If that's you, I'd love for you just to shoot your hand up in the air. There's nothing magical about raising your hand or praying, but it's just an opportunity for you to respond to what God is doing. All right. Well, Father God, we thank you for your, your goodness to us, and we worship you. Help us to be men and women of integrity. Help us to honor you and bring glory to your name as we wait for eternity. Amen.